one of our leading developers of new corneal techniques, new corneal surgery techniques, and it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Marjan Farid. Good afternoon. I'm sorry for the wait in this afternoon, and uh, it's a pleasure and honor for me to be here and to speak about breakthroughs in corneal surgery because this is my favorite topic. I, I love this. And, and since we're such a nice small audience, we can uh, keep it open for questions throughout. Um, so just wave me down and, and we'll discuss things as we go. First of all, just a quick, I know you all know this, but the cornea of the eye is the frontmost part of the eye. It's the window of the eye. And uh, it is an aspheric, uh, smooth, a refractive surface. It accounts for about 60% of the total power, a uh, refractive power of the eye. It's the first uh, refractive element that light hits to focus into the retina, into the back of the eye, which then transfers that image to the brain. So it's important for it to be smooth um, uh, with a nice tear film, spherical, and uh, not irregular. So all of these, it, it, there's a lot of things that go into focusing that light clearly, and the cornea accounts for uh, most of that. These are some of the early pioneers in corneal transplantation. Corneal transplantation has been, uh, was first done as early as, I think, 19, the, uh, the teens, Right? Is that a, and and uh, a lot of progress has been made since then, and a lot of exciting things. But some of the early challenges these corneal transplant surgeons faced was, well, how do we suture such a small thing to the eye? So suture surgical technique that was significantly improved once we developed a surgical microscope, because now we can see tissue that small, and we can work with. Uh, uh, the area of the body, which is, is very uh, fine, and, and uh, uh, this allows us detailed precision in our surgical technique. Sutures. We used to have very large sutures. These patients would have very pain, painful eyes after a corneal transplant because they would stay in the hospital with these thick sutures. Now we have advances of what we call 10-O or 11-O sutures, which are so fine. They're finer than a, the human hair, and sometimes uh, you, we can't even see them uh, with a naked eye. You really need to use a surgical microscope to see those well. So that has really uh, um, progressed corneal surgery significantly. Tissue availability and preservation. A lot of patients would have to go home with beepers and uh, wait for a tissue to become available. That's no longer, no longer the case. We can, If you're a candidate for corneal transplant surgery, I sign up patients. I say, I'll do your surgery next Monday. And the eye banking we have now in the United States is phenomenal. They call me about two or three days before surgery, and they say we have these tissues available, and these are the qualities, and I, I accept if they're good tissues. But eye banking has been a significant advance. Um, and then graft uh, infections and failures with the uh, advent of sterile techniques and pharmaceuticals and fantastic eye drops and antibiotics, this has significantly progressed as well. So we've come a long way already. Yes? No, it doesn't. It's not gender-related. Yes, the question was, if you're having a transplant, does your cornea have to come from the same gender, a person who, with the same gender? And no, we, it doesn't. It doesn't even need to come from a person with the same age, as long as it's a good quality tissue, um, which we check before uh, surgery, then it's, it's fine. We don't even have to match tissue anymore these days. Yes? Yes. 
It's pre-packaged. Everything is done for us nowadays. So we just open it up and use it. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> current challenges. So some of the challenges we currently face as transplant surgeons. Now patients want to go home right away, which we can do. Patients, patients want vision almost the next day, like a cataract surgery. And this is a little more difficult in the realm of corneal surgery, but we've got our recovery rates and our visual recovery down from months to one week, months to years, down to weeks to one or two months. So we've made advances there. Recovery time and post-sealing. Again, now patients go home the same day. The recovering is a lot, uh, recovery is a lot faster, especially with some of the techniques I'm going to discuss today. And uh, it's becoming more towards a refractive procedure, patients that want super 20-20 vision right away. And and the demands have gone significantly higher for corneal transplant surgeons, but that's what causes advance in in technology to grow. So we're excited about some of the technology I'm going to talk to you about today. Did you have a question? I'm sorry? Recovery time after corneal transplant surgery? It's, it's various depending on the type of corneal transplant surgery, and we'll discuss that. But overall, patients go home in general uh, the, the day of surgery, and the recovery, the initial recovery and the discomfort and light sensitivity usually lasts a few days to a week, and then the visual recovery occurs over a period of weeks to a period of a month or two or three. So advances, some advances in corneal surgery. Now we have disease-targeted surgery. So whereas um, prior to, I would say, maybe five or six years ago, uh, what we would do is if the disease, if the cornea was diseased, we would replace the entire cornea. Now we can target and only replace the part of the cornea that is the disease portion. So we have what we call DSEC or DMEC for patients who have endothelial disease. Endothelial layer of the cornea is the inner layer of the cornea. And uh, for those types of diseases, we can replace just that layer, which uh, Im- improves uh, in terms of recovery time is faster, in terms of visual recovery, in terms of post-operative healing is a lot faster because we're not replacing the entire tissue. The wound is smaller and such. We'll all talk about the details of these in a minute. We have DALK or deep anterior lamellar keratoplasty for patients who have diseases of the front part of the cornea. So we replace everything except the endothelial layer because that's the healthy part. And then we have for patients with severe ocular surface disorders such as chemical burns, thermal burns, Um, various types of things that cause significant uh, damage to the limbal stem cells of the surface of the eye. We have limbal stem cell transplantation and artificial corneal transplantation, and I'll discuss that at the end. Um, There's a lot of advances in this area as well. And one of the big things here that we're very proud of at UC Irvine is the advance of the femtosecond laser technology, which was first... uh, uh, discovered and, and uh, advented here at UC Irvine at the Gavin Herbert Eye Institute, and now it's becoming very popular. It's uh, very uh, popular in uh, LASIK surgery for creation of LASIK flaps, but now we can use this in corneal transplant surgery and has really advanced our ability to uh, allow patients to recover faster in terms of vision and decreasing the astigmatism, and I'll talk about that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to start with this. So the femtosecond laser is a laser which allows, it uses a process of photodisruption, and it allows precise cuts in the tissue of the cornea at precise depths, down to the tens of microns. So very precise cuts. And instead of making a, now this is a side view of the cornea. Instead of what we would do previously is make a straight 
cut, creating a butt joint, which is, if anybody knows carpentry, they know that's the weakest type of a, of a joint. Uh, now what we can create are these interesting shapes, top hat, mushroom, and our favorite here is the zigzag shape, where you have an interlocking tongue and groove almost fit um, between the donor tissue and the host tissue. And this allows a significant uh, more mechanic, biomechanical stability to these tissues. So uh, for patients who are good candidates at UC Irvine anyways, this is what we do is the zigzag corneal transplantation. Here's another pictogram of it. Uh, we see here's the patient's cornea that is cut with the zigzag femtosecond settings. The, the central corneal button is removed. And then a corresponding donor cornea is cut with the same settings. So we have a complementary uh, fit, a lock and key fit here between the donor and the host. This creates a nice angled transition between the donor and host tissue, which improves visual quality. Uh, you get a good hermetic wound seal and better biomechanical stability with this kind of wound. This is a study that we did, early study. We have now... Uh, probably here at the Gavin Herbert Eye Institute have more have done more of these than anywhere else in the country, and uh, we're getting phenomenal results. And I'll go over some of those with you. But here's a study that looked at the difference between the zigzag incision corneas versus conventional corneal transplantation. And uh, in terms of demographics, both groups were about the same. So we looked at them at month three, post-operative month three. The zigzag group had three diopters of astigmatism. So astigmatism. You don't want so much of it because it's a distortion in the corneal tissue. The conventional group had 4.46. This is significant in terms of getting patients back into glasses and spectacles, for example, in a tolerable amount of astigmatism uh, to be able to tolerate spectacles. So significant difference in astigmatism, especially in the first and third month. This is visual acuity on patients with good uh, visual potential, and this is a logmar, so the lower here, the better the vision. So the red is the zigzag group, the blue is the conventional group. As early as month one and month three, you can see there was a dramatic uh, improvement in visual results, meaning that the patients in the zigzag group recovered faster. Their visual acuity came in a lot faster, and the significance in month one and three is clear. This is the post-operative appearance of a zigzag corneal transplant. This is the suture we use that we run through. We use one long running suture to close this large wound. And if you look on side view, you can almost see the zigzag there. This is a better picture of it. This is an anterior segment OCT. It's almost like an X-ray of the cornea, if you will. And you can see the shape of the zigzag right here. And this is the donor tissue and the host tissue. You can see how perfectly well they fit, lock and uh, key fit, and, and how well uh, the positioning here is. So again, here in, the, in our zigzag group, we had about 80% achieved driving vision early on by month three, and that's 20-40 vision is driving vision versus about 45% in our conventional group. Yes? So there's still a large wound. So we have a zig we have, let me go back here to that picture. Between the donor and the host, you still have a wound. Now, the zigzag fits together, but you want to put stitches to, to uh, make sure that those tissues stay locked. But, but the nice thing is with the zigzag, the, our suture tension is less. So our sutures are less tight because they don't leak as much. They're, they're nice and, and fitted, and uh, so it results in overall less astigmatism in the long run. 
and I talk about that here. So there's a greater biomechanical stability of the incisions, more surface area for healing, less suture, suture tension with resulting less astigmatism, and uh, faster visual recovery. Yes. I'm sorry? The sutures done are, are done under a surgical microscope, and we suture those we, with a hand. Needle and thread. <laughs> yes. Well, the, the, we have them cut. The specifics of the laser are inputted into the laser. So we, we input the same specifics into the donor cut as we do into the host. So the two have the same exact cut, same measurements in terms of depth, so they're a perfect, perfect lock. And, yeah. The laser is very precise at doing that. This is one of the nice advents in this area. So disease, I'm going to move on to one of the other advances here, disease-targeted transplantation. So for patients with diseases of the inner layer or of the front and mid layers of the cornea, the stromal disease, what we call, we have deep anterior lamellar keratoplasty. These are great for patients with keratoconus, anterior stromal scarring, or various types of stromal dystrophies that that leave a healthy endothelial layer, but the rest of the cornea is diseased. And conversely, we have endothelial disease. We have what we call the DSEC or DMEC type surgery for patients with, for example, Fuchs dystrophy, which is a dystrophy of uh, poor endothelial um, quality and count, as well as um, uh, endothelial disease resulting from things such as complicated cataract surgery. So let's talk about the deep anterior lamellar keratoplasty. As I mentioned here, we're replacing the entire cornea except the decimase membrane. That's that inner lining of the cornea because that's the one that's healthy. We'd like to leave that in place. What are the benefits? The risk of rejection becomes almost zero because when our body rejects the cornea, it usually rejects that inner lining. So if we can maintain the patient's own inner lining, if it's healthy, all the better. Um, it also uh, decreases the risk of surgery because we're really not really opening into the eye, so it becomes an extraocular type of surgery. Now, what we're doing, and we're very proud of here at UC Irvine, is we've combined this with the zigzag technology. And this is, you're getting the best of both worlds here because you're getting that zigzag cut and you're getting uh, a disease-targeted type of um, transplantation. We're, these patients are also, we're seeing rapid, more rapid wound healing, less astigmatism, and faster visual recovery. With this type of disease, and this pictorial uh, <clears throat> represents, the red represents that inner lining of the cornea, which is healthy, which we would like to keep, decimase membrane. We use our zigzag femtosecond to cut the tissue, and we leave a little spare bridge here, so we don't cut all the way through. And then we do in, uh, use a needle here to inject a bubble into the deeper layers, a bubble of air, which then separates decimase membrane from the rest of the cornea. And we excise the rest of that stroma. We excise the rest of the cornea, leaving the patient's uh, decimase membrane intact. And then we use a... I'm sorry? Well... The <laughs> They're scissors, but they look a little fancier than, than my pictorial. And then we replace that with uh, a donor cornea, again, same cut with the same zigzag, and we take its endothelial layer off and, and place that here and suture in the same type of technique. I have a video here. If you're squeamish about looking at eyes, please close your eyes. Well, maybe it won't run, and I'll save you all the trouble. Looks like it might... 
Uh, it might not run here, so maybe I'll try to get this to run later for those of you who are interested. But it, it's basically a short video displaying that type of surgery. Okay, we'll, we'll try it later. Um, so our initial results on the zigzag DALK are fantastic. So far, astigmatisms are very low, below three diopters, and we expect to see great results with this type of technique as well. All right, and then we have our uh, disease-targeted corneal transplant for unhealthy endothelial light layers, so patients with a poor inner layer, and we'd like to replace that but keep the rest of the cornea intact. And what we do here, again, here's the cornea. There's that decimase membrane. We peel that first from the back part of the patient's cornea. Uh, some inc- uh, surgeons create venting incisions there. Now, the donor cornea here is uh, usually pre-cut these days in an eye bank, and they cut it using uh, what we call a microkeratome. I won't get into the details of that. But the nice thing is the eye banks now can prepare these tissues, so it decreases the amount of manipulation the surgeon has to do intraoperatively to the tissue. So we receive a nice host tissue. This is the donor tissue we receive. And then we cut it to the size we want. And we slide it in through a very small incision through the edge of the cornea, and it sits here at the back part of the patient's cornea. So we've stripped the patient's cornea of its decimate membrane and replaced it with a back layer here. Now, how do we keep that in place? We can't really suture that. Uh, it, it wouldn't work very well and can cause a lot of distortion, so we use an air bubble. We use an air bubble to float this up, and it, by the process of um, the cells just kicking in and starting to work, this tissue then sticks after about 24 hours of positioning the patient face up to allow that bubble to work. That, uh, posterior, that posterior donor cornea we've placed then stays adhered to the cornea, and, and we're done. And this is another video of that, but I, I, I have a feeling it's not going to run either. So, again, I'll show these videos later if we have interest. Advantages to the surgery are it's a small incision surgery, so it, it minimizes the need for a large incision. The astigmatism is less. And uh, one side of the interface is smooth. There's decreased um, problems with interface haze and distortions, which we were seeing with earlier versions of this type of surgery. And it can be done multiple times. So if for some reason that donor uh, cornea doesn't stick first time around, uh, we can replace it easily with another graft through that same incision. The disadvantages are it's surgically challenging, and there's definitely a surgical learning curve for um, the surgeon uh, to learn how to do these. Um, The patient has to be face-up positioned for 24 hours. Some patients have difficulty with that. Um, Post-operative dislocations can occur, so sometimes we need to replace an air bubble in the patient's eye the next day in clinic, and that can be a little bit challenging and uncomfortable. There, Yes? So allow that bubble to work. So we, we want that bubble to push that new corneal tissue up, upward. So we use the positioning to get the bubble to work for us. Okay. And this extra tissue we add to the cornea can change the intraocular lens power calculation for patients who have intraocular lenses after cataract surgery. There is a newer surgery here. I just put one slide on this. This is really very new and um, 
we're working on perfecting this technique, but it's, it's the same surgery, but instead of replacing a small portion of uh, cornea into the eye, we're replacing only a very small membrane. So we're getting smaller with our donor tissue here. And it creates a little more surgical challenge because now we have a smaller tissue to manipulate. Last bit of this talk I wanted to talk uh, about today was ocular surface, severe ocular surface disease. And this is for patients uh, who have eyes that look like this. They're essentially blind from um, uh, surface disease, whether it was from a chemical burn, a thermal burn, and I'll go over the various causes that can cause this. But essentially, they've burned off the limbal stem cells of the cornea. And what happens is, is you have the tissue from the outer parts of the cornea growing onto the surface, causing opacification of the entire cornea. And uh, sometimes, many times, the lids here actually get involved, and the lids stick to the eyeball. And it's a, these patients really have very little hope for vision without um, uh, some kind of advance in technology, which we have now, but it is still, uh, I think we have a long way to go still. So these patients either have chemical burns, a disease called Stephen-Johnson, which is almost like it's an autoimmune disease that causes the body to attack the mucous membranes, killing off the stem cells, thermal burns, there's a disease of aniridia, which is a congenital disease. These patients are born with poor limbal stem cells. Some patients who have overuse of contact lens wear for years and years can uh, cause damage to their limbal stem cells. Um, severe allergic diseases, uh, to uh, toxic topical medications for years and years and years can also cause damage to the limbal stem cells. These, uh, the approach to these patients is a team approach. Uh, we have to have a cornea specialist involved, uh, a plastic surgeon, an ocular plastic surgeon involved if the lids become involved in order to separate the lids from the globe. A lot of patients also have uh, concurrent glaucoma, so a glaucoma surgeon on the team is required. And then these patients need to be on um, immunosuppressive medications, similar to a kidney transplant, because limbal stem cell transplant tissue does tend to reject if the patient is not immunosuppressed. So we use an internist or, or a transplant immunologist to help us with monitoring these patients while they're on these medications. So it's a staged surgery. We start off with an eye that looks like this, completely opacified. First thing we do is we treat the glaucoma to make sure the pressure in the eye is down. Glaucoma is irreversible, so we, do, we want to treat that first. Uh, we usually put an early tube shunt to allow release of the pressure in the eye. Then we address the eyelids. We separate the eyelids from the globe if they're attached, uh, or, or if the lashes are turned inwards, we need to have our oculoplastic um, colleagues turn those lashes outward for us and, and get the lids in a good position. The third part in involves the... Uh, immunosuppressing the patient. So the immuno, immuno, transplant immunologist then puts these patients on strong uh, immunosuppressive medications to lower their immune system. And then we do the uh, limbal stem cell transplant where we come in and 360 degrees all the way around, we uh, place, we transplant limbal stem cells either from a cadaver or a living related. Usually these patients are not candidates for getting tissue from the other eye because usually both eyes are affected. Um, now, if the other eyes are not affected, the nice thing is we don't need to immunosuppress them because it's their own tissue. 
um, but we do the limbal stem cell transplantation, and then three or four months after that, we finally come in and do a corneal transplant centrally and give them a clear central vision. So this is a, almost a one-year process these patients go through to regain some sort of functional vision. So this patient had a severe alkali injury. One eye went completely dead, essentially not even responsive to light. The other eye was completely opacified with a little bit of uh, sensation of motion and things like that. So we uh, placed a glaucoma tube shunt, stem cell transplant, and the patient finally, after about a year, vision is almost 20-20, 20-30, which is a couple of lines down from that with the final corneal transplant. So, so we were seeing some remarkable results in some of these patients um, with this type of surgery. And finally, patients who are not good candidates for limbal stem cell transplant, we have available an artificial cornea called the Boston Keratoprosthesis. This has actually been around for about 40 years and has gone through multiple generations. The earlier generations were not as successful, but I think the latest model here has been doing remarkably well. Indications. So who is a good candidate for an artificial cornea? These are usually patients with previously they've had uh, corneal transplants and continue to reject their corneas, and they don't do well. So we want to give them something that the body can't reject. This is a plastic piece in the center, it, is a, um, it involves a plastic central optic, and that is placed on a ring of normal corneal tissue and has a back plate and a little titanium ring that holds it all together. And then we transplant that onto the cornea. So again, poor candidates for limbal stem cell transplantation. Uh, for example, patients are not able to be immunosuppressed for some reason. Uh, that they, they may be good candidates for the artificial cornea. The major complications, especially with the earlier models, were these patients had higher risk of infections of the cornea and the eye. But with the addition of uh, essentially these patients are on lifetime uh, eye drops, antibiotic eye drops to prevent infection. But this, this has decreased the risk of infection significantly. And we keep a bandage contact lens over the cornea to help as well with protection. And uh, retroprosthetic membranes can occur. Usually we treat those with a little laser procedure. Those are not as much of an issue nowadays. Um, but severe visual limitation is usually a result of underlying eye disease. So some of these patients never see 20-20 because they have underlying glaucoma or other disease of the retina that, that limits their vision. But if they have a good retina, a good optic nerve, there's really no reason why these patients can't see um, fantastic, 2020 or so. And this is another patient with a severe alkali burn. You can see that lids were completely stuck to the eyeball. We had actually difficulty finding the eyeball, but we found it. We separated the lids. This patient got mucus grafting of the eyelids as well as limbal stem cell transplantation. That is somewhere mid-stage, about six months or so into the process. And finally, he got an artificial cornea here. Um, and you can see this eye looks almost normal. And uh, so he's doing very well. This patient had glaucoma. So I, I can't remember what his final vision is, but it was, it was mid-range. He didn't have a 20-20 visual potential because of his glaucoma, but he uh, achieved his visual potential. 
So uh, conclusions. Innovations in femtosecond laser in corneal transplantation have definitely given uh, corneal surgeons new tools for achieving better and faster visual recovery. We have a lot of fun with this femtosecond laser here at UC Irvine. Uh, and we now have technology to specifically address the disease part of the cornea. So don't get it's now no longer, oh, your corneal transplant. It's, well, what type of corneal transplant are you, is, are you appropriate for? And, of course, advances in limbal stem cell and artificial corneas have definitely given a lot of hope to patients with uh, severe ocular surface disease that would otherwise have no vision. Thank you. So this is for ocular surface uh, diseases of the front of the eye. Those patients still need, most of them still need a full cornea at the end, as you saw. But now that the cornea is supported by stem cells that can, that can feed it as the surface cells die, if that makes sense. We can take a few a couple questions? Of questions for Dr. Farid. Good. You already know everything. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.